As I mentioned, this is part three of a series that's very close to my heart, and that is the glorious gospel of Christ. The glorious gospel of Christ. I have been increasingly concerned and burdened and bothered by how the gospel is taking on all these multiple forms, all these multiple images. And today, you can be a Christian and be anything you want to be. You don't have to have a Bible. You don't have to believe the Bible. You don't have to believe almost anything regarding Christianity and still be a Christian. But that reminds me that God never called us to go and make Christians or converts. He called us to go and make what? Disciples. And a Christian is not very well defined in scriptures because um, in Antioch was the first time the disciples of Christ were actually called Christians. So God views us as disciples. The early church were known as disciples. And later on, they, was, they started calling them Christian. But Christian is not very defined, as I mentioned. But disciple is very clearly defined by Jesus himself when he said, If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him do what? Let him take up his cross, deny himself, was the first one, take up his cross, and then follow me, right? Let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, which is an instrument of death. We saw that with Jesus, how you die to self just like he died to himself in order to live for God's purposes. So deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Amen. That is the process of following Him is denying self and picking up your cross. So it's very clearly defined as to what it means to be a disciple. But the gospel now has taken on so many forms, but we have to get back to what it means when Jesus brought us the good news. For most part, the people aren't interested in the good news because they don't know the bad news. They have no need for Jesus. They have no need for forgiveness because they think they're good. And God should let them into His heaven. So we had to ask the question, well then, why did Jesus come to this earth? Why? Many people think so that He can save me from hard times. So that I can one day go to heaven and escape hell. But here it is, all right? 1 Timothy 1.15, how true it is, the Bible says, and how along that everyone should know it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save who? Sinners, sinners from their sin. John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him, John the Baptist, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. He came over this issue called S-I-N, which you hardly ever hear in the most popular messages today anymore. Sin is no longer mentioned. Jesus is now a friend. He's a comforter. He's a buddy. He's not the one who came to deal with the very thing that broke your relationship with God the Father. Sin. Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. Yet the church sermons is void of this concept. 
teaching a psych psychological Jesus, teaching a motivational Jesus, teaching a, an inspiring Christ, yet He came to save us from sin. So even though Jesus came to deal with that issue, what we hear is a Jesus who wants to help us get through our difficult times, a Jesus who wants to keep us positive and help us deal with those negative thoughts in your mind about yourself and how you can reach your dreams in this world as if this world really amounts to so much. In comparison to eternity, it's nothing. It's a passing shadow. Jesus came to this earth to deal with our sin. And in the last two weeks, we dealt with the need for the good news. This is so big to me. This is so huge to me. Why? Because I see that people have no appetite for Jesus. People have no appetite for the gospel. You can almost teach them anything you want, no matter how, how crazy it seems. But the moment you open up the Bible, there's a problem. How many of you fly often? You sit next to somebody, they're chatting, chatting, and chatting. You open up your Bible, whoop, silence. People are repulsed by this message that tells them that they need Jesus to save them from who they are. What's wrong with me? <laughs> you hurt my feelings. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. Why do I need Jesus? I'm good the way I am, and God should accept me just as I am. So in the last two weeks, we dealt with the need, and we talked about just why the good news is good. Why do we need Jesus? What does Jesus save us from? Why is Jesus... Why, did, why is His news so good to us? And we saw how radically corrupt we are as humans. Now, if you missed that, this wouldn't mean as much to you. And I really want to encourage you to check it up. Go to the website and you can follow it. This is part three. But you will learn how radically corrupt fallen man is. Somebody says, well, you know, I was made in His image and in His likeness. Yes, you were. We all were made in His image and His likeness, but then came the fall. And the fall contaminated all of who we are. It made our minds blind, so we, had no, we no longer have the ability to comprehend Him or even acknowledge Him or even recognize Him. That's why Jesus came into the world whom He created, and the world did not know Him. Their minds were blind. Their eyes were blind. Their deaf, their ears. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. Their hearts became darkened to the point where it could no longer respond. That means they were dead, like a dead person in their sin, the Bible says. That was the state and is the state of fallen man. And this is why the light and the hope of the gospel is so very hopeful. But if you don't see yourself as somebody who's blind and deaf and dead in your sins, you don't think you need it. You don't need Jesus, and you don't need what He has to offer you. The question is, how, a, how is a radically corrupted and totally depraved person, a fallen human saved by God, how does God save this deaf, blind, and dead person who's dead in this, and how does He save them? Well, the process is very clearly laid out in Scripture. But the one thing we need to understand is that God calls that man to repentance. 
And just like the doctrine of radical corruption is almost completely absent. Why? Because everybody talks about how wonderful we are and how valuable you are and how special you are. Everybody wants to just talk about that. Why? Because it's good, it's good for business too. It's good for feelings. It makes everybody love each other. And you know, people love that. But Jesus did not actually teach that message, folks. He didn't come for people's value. He came to pay people's penalty. And so just as that message of radical corruption, of what happened to me when I fell into sin, and I was born in sin, and because I had a sin nature, my life is filled with acts of sin. Now, what happens to me when God calls me? He calls me to repentance. This is how. He redeems. But just like that message of radical corruption has gone missing in the church, so also the doctrine of repentance is completely missing from modern day sermons. So let's look at what the Spirit of God says about, about repentance. Let's look at what the Spirit of God says about repentance. Well, how do you know what the Spirit says? By looking in the Scriptures. Because all Scriptures is God-breathed. Amen. So what does the Spirit of God tell us about repentance? And without using the word repentance, we see that the prophet Isaiah explains the process of repentance, and the nuts and bolts, and the action called repentance. In Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Seek Him while He may be found, because He may only be found for a little while before He becomes unavailable. Then it says, call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and He will have compassion on him, and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. So here we see seeking the Lord is important. We see calling upon the Lord is critical. But forsaking your wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts is actually a part of how we can seek and call upon the Lord. But for some reason, the disconnect is when people think that they can seek Him and they can call upon Him while holding on to everything they've ever wanted to not lose in their life. <laughs> you see, it is impossible to talk about turning to Christ without also turning away from self and sin. Why? Because as I mentioned earlier on, it is very clear as to the purpose of Christ coming to this, into this world. His work was to deal with the very sin. So how is it that we can teach a gospel of believing without repenting? How is it that people can come to Christ without leaving the world? Turn to Jesus without turning from self and the world? It is not possible. You see, you have to have that understanding and that balance. So why do Bible believers still preach repentance? Why do Bible believers still preach it? Because it's in there, and I'll show it to you. Number one, we see that John the Baptist preached repentance in Matthew 3, verse 1 through 2. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 3, verse 8, he says this, Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, uh, make sure your repentance is real. Make sure your repentance is visible. Make sure your repentance is evident. Make sure that it was actual true repentance and it wasn't just a statement made. 
Make sure that it was hard work. Hard work. Right? Now, I know. I know this is not a candy service today. <laughs> Hardly ever is. And people don't like to hear this word. I'm telling you, this is why the gospel is so repulsive to the world and becoming increasingly more repulsive to the church because it calls men to repent and believe. So you got to relax. <laughs> if you think that you are believing in the gospel where it's void of repentance, you're not believing in the true gospel. And I'll show you. It's just buckle up and hang in there, all right? So in other words, make sure that your repentance is visible. John the Baptist preached repentance. Why do believers still preach repentance? Bible believers, because Jesus preached repentance. Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. The kingdom of heaven is interchangeable with salvation. Repent, for salvation is at hand. In Luke 5, 31 through 32, And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? Believe? Let me ask you, what did Jesus say? I have not come to call the righteous, but I have called sinners to believe? No, repent. That's what Jesus came to call sinners to do. Mark 1 verse 14 says, Now, after John the Baptist was arrested and taken into custody, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, salvation, and saying, The appointed period of time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. In other words, change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Regret your past. Really? Yes. Regret your past sins. Live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life, not your own. That's repentance. And then believe with a deep, abiding trust in the good news regarding salvation. Mark 1, verse 14. In today's evangelism, you will hear a lot about believe, believe, believe without actually hearing repent and believe. Repent and believe. Yet that's what the Scripture says, repent and believe. If you come to Christ, repent and believe. The question we will eventually ask in this series is this. Is it possible to believe without repenting? The Bible is clear on that, and we will eventually look at that too. In Luke 13, 3, we still see Jesus preaching repentance. He says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, he reiterates himself in Luke 13, 5. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So according to Jesus' teachings, according to his teachings, there is no salvation offered a fallen human being outside of repentance. According, let me say that again. According to Jesus' words, no salvation is offered outside of repentance. According to Christ, those who do not repent will perish in their sins. Luke 15.10, Jesus continues to preach repentance. In the same way, He says, I tell you, there is joy in the, in the presence of the angels of God over what? One sinner who believes? One sinner who believes, yes or no? No. no. One sinner who does what? Repent. Repents. Luke 16.30. But He said, No, Father Abraham... 
But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. You see, the issue has always been about repentance. Here's the guy in the flames of hell. You all know the story, right? Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus eating the scraps that fell from the table of this rich man. They both die. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. This rich man goes into Hades. And from there he could see Lazarus. And he calls the angel and he asks, could Lazarus just dip his finger into water and bring a drop of water and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame? He said, no. He says, well, then do me this favor. Could you please send somebody to go and tell my family to never come here? This place is horrible. And then that was the response. It says, if they cannot hear Moses and they cannot hear the prophets, wow, they will not be persuaded even if somebody rises from the dead. But what did this guy ask him? He says, go and tell them to repent. And he says, they will not repent. You see, the point I'm trying to bring to you is that the issue is actually repenting. See that? Luke 24, 46. Just hang in there with me. And the Bible says, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for what? Repentance for forgiveness of sins. Repentance for what? Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. So repentance would be what? Proclaimed, right? Repentance should be proclaimed. Unto what purpose? So people can be forgiven for their sins. Let's read that verse again and you'll see it. Repentance ought to be the thing that should be proclaimed from here. Why? So people can be forgiven. It should be proclaimed. I'll read it to you again in Luke 24 verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name. So now He's going to rise from the dead. And then repentance for sins should be proclaimed so that people will be forgiven. To all the nations, beginning where? In Jerusalem. You see, this to me is the strangest thing, family. And may I just whisper this to you because I, I, I don't know if this is true for you in your personal life. But in ministry, this is a true deal. Do not speak on these issues. Jesus did, but you do not. The apostles did, but you do not. The disciples did, but you do not. The, the early church did, but you do not. It is an offense to the world, and it's an increasing offense to the, to the body of Christ. It's the strangest thing to me. While the scriptures are calling us Bible teachers to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that's what that verse told it to do, to proclaim Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We are now seeing only people preaching against this. How did they get there? In a nutshell, this is how people came to the point of preaching against what they were commanded to proclaim. They now place repentance in the category of works. How so? Because... Repentance is now a work, therefore it has to be of the flesh. And since it is of the flesh, 
It is therefore now a sin. Don't repent. That's the work of the flesh. In this sermon here today, I will show you why that is wrong. But I'll show it to you right at the end. So now remember this. That if you believe repentance is of man's work, then it might be of the flesh, and you're right, therefore it's a sin. But if repentance is the work of God, it is not of the flesh. It is of God. And since Jesus, and I know that a lot of people, and also even famous people, are very much against this. Get it. I get it. But for heaven's sakes, family, I beg you, never, ever shut Jesus up. Don't do it. You cannot silence the words of Christ and not be part of or succumb to the spirit of the Antichrist. How can you be pro-God, pro-Christ by saying those words no longer mean anything? All that matters is His blood. Okay, so what does that mean? I want what He can give me, but don't tell me what to do. <laughs> you're not my Lord. You're only my Savior. And Jesus said, if anybody confess with his mouth that Jesus is who? Savior? No, Lord. And believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he'll be saved. Now, think about this for a moment. Really, if I am going to have the ability to put my faith and trust and apply the blood of Jesus Christ to my life while silencing the voice of Jesus himself, how is this even possible? It's not. This gospel is Jesus' gospel. He's the one who articulated it. And I, and I would first, uh, hear me, and I'm very, very, I'm very, very um, uh, confident about this. I will first quit this position in a heartbeat than throwing away the words of Christ. I will not do it. Jesus called men to repent, and I am not going to tell him to shut up. And I'm not going to throw him into this abuse of dispensationalism and say, well, he was part of the old. I don't know. Uh, we will talk about that eventually and just outline it, why that thinking is so very anti-scriptural. So we see, first, John the Baptist preached repentance, right? Number three, we see that the apostles preached repentance in Mark 6, verse 12. This is way off to the cross when they went out and preached that men should do what? Believe? Nope. The apostles went out and preached that men should repent. Folks, some of you are going like, this message is not for me. That means it is. Because these apostles spoke back then. And you cannot eliminate those verses. You cannot eliminate the, their words. You cannot shut Jesus up. And I am not in love with ministry. I am in fear of God. <laughs> All right, so here we see that the apostles preached repentance. We also see, number four, that the New Testament church preached repentance. Acts 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Acts 3 verse 19, it says, Repent then and turn to God. Repent then, in other words, turn 
away from something and then turn to God. That's how you turn away from something, by turning to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. Why do you repent? So your sins can be forgiven. Verse after verse. Repent so that you may be forgiven. Repent so that you may be forgiven. Repent so that you may be forgiven. Acts 3 verse 19. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And the times of refreshing may come. You see, the message we ought to proclaim today should obviously be the same as what the apostles proclaimed back then. The early church proclaimed back then. Why? Because it's the same God. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Holy Ghost that saves. It's the same message called the gospel of Christ it's the same scriptures. Why is it that we no longer hear about sin at all? We don't hear about repenting from it. Because most woke churches now preach the gospel of acceptance and how to turn your lemons into lemonade. That's what it's about. It's psychological. It's psychology. No, he called us to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There was a movie back in, 19, I mean 20, in 2017, it grossed $96 million at the box office called The Shack, and I know many people loved this. Uh, Albert Moeller, a theologian, said this about the film, um, and he said, the film's depiction of God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is profoundly unbiblical. Other uh, theologians called it universalism from the beginning to the end. In this movie, and you can put that up, I have a little meme there. In this movie, The Shack, you will see some of the things that are totally heretical in this movie, uh, which, by, by the way, the church at large, the church at large had no idea how to filter this thing through, theology or doctrine. No idea. Everybody just ate it up like, like a big piece of cake. Loved it. Loved it. Cried over it. Loved it. Felt so close to God because of it. Which, by the way, is impossible. Man, this heresy brings me so close to God. No, you just felt better, <laughs> Right? And this movie, The Shack, it very clearly outlines that God is limited by His love and therefore cannot produce or practice justice. Why? Because He loves so much. He cannot be just. It shows how God will never judge people for their sins. Why? Because He loves so much. It articulates that it doesn't matter which way to get to God. Jesus is walking with all people in their different journeys. Jesus is walking with all people in their different journeys. It's like Oprah Winfrey wrote the script to this thing. Everyone makes it to heaven. Universalism is preached throughout this movie. God has forgiven all humanity whether they repent or not. doesn't matter what Jesus said. God forgives people. You see, the early church in Acts and the modern day church is simply no longer teaching or preaching the same thing at all. We are so far, if you open up the book of Acts and you start reading through it, we're so far from what that, what that church looked like or what those apostles preached. In Acts 17 verse 30 it says, Therefore, God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. Let me read that again. For God <laughs> overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance, but He now commands all people everywhere to repent. <sighs> I don't know. You go, well, repentance means just seeing Jesus for who He is, okay? Well, here it says in the Amplified, 
To repent means that is to change their old way of thinking, to regret their past sins, and to seek God's purpose for their lives. There's this notion that there's, no, there's nothing to repent from. Why? Because we're no longer under the law. Well, if that was... Let's, let's, let me show you this quick. Uh, somebody posted this. Anthony Calderon actually posted this, and I thought I'll use it today. But this is a, a, this is a post from uh, a minister, and he says this. Watch this. God didn't create you to live by commands. He created you to live by His promises. God didn't create you to live by commands. He created you to live by His promises. Um, this same minister believes that Jesus was in the Old Testament. And therefore, when Jesus called us to repent, you don't have to. Because it was before the cross and before the blood. Now all you have to do is believe in the blood, but ignore His words. Believe in His blood, but reject what He says. Reject His statements. Reject His call. Reject His command. Just trust in the blood. So they basically have divided Christ as if His words were going to mean different from His gift. They have abused dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is a true thing, but the abuse thereof is evil. Like anything that is abused is evil. And so, I just want to ask about this. Go back to that. If you are made to live by His commands, you were, you, you didn't, God didn't create you to live by commands. He didn't create you to live by commands. He created you to live by His promises. Now, my son doesn't love it when he's given a command. Why not? Because of the flesh, right? Um, my son lives, loves living by promises alone. Yeah, his flesh does for sure. <laughs> but nobody loves living by commands because we're fallen beings. But if you want to say that God didn't create you to live by commands, what did, he, what did happen in the garden? Adam and Eve, do not eat from this or else you will die. Is that not a command unto life? Yes, of course it is. And right here in Acts 17, 30, it says, Therefore God overlooked and, disregarded, overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance, but now He does what? He commands all people everywhere to do what? To repent. To repent. <laughs> Folks, the most unpopular thing about Christianity, the most rejected and neglected thing about Christianity turns out to be the thing that God commanded us to. Family of God. Biblical illiteracy is at all-time high today. But in our series on the glorious gospel of Christ, I want to make sure that we realize and recognize that John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus Christ preached repentance the apostles preached repentance. The early church in the book of Acts preached repentance. Who are we to come up with systems of thought where we can negate, disregard, and eliminate that 
message from the Bible. So why is God so patient with us? Romans 2 verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Most translations say to call you to repentance. He's patiently waiting for people to do what? Repent. You see, repentance matters because it is an essential part of the saving work of God. What is repentance? It is a call to turn to God away from yourself and sin and the world. It's the word metanoia. The original word used for repent, metanoia. And if you go to the dictionary definition of any word, you will see that usually there's about a page this long of explanations of that word. But what, what people do is they grab a statement out of the explanation of the original word and they run with that statement and ignore the rest. Metanoia does not just mean seeing Jesus differently, changing your mind about who Jesus really is. That is a part of metanoia, but not the, not the whole of metanoia. As a matter of fact, repentance, metanoia, is a radical turning around. It is a radical conversion. It is a transformation of nature, a transformation of nature. It is a definition or a, defi a definite turning from evil. It is a resolute turning from evil to God, from disobedience and rebellion to obedience and submission. This is repentance, metanoia. Repentance in the original is not just about changing your mind about how you view Jesus. Demons also view Jesus for who He is. It is an internal work of God that is evident in its external results. So what does repentance look like? What does repentance look like? I have many examples for you. But I'll start with Luke. Excuse me, let me start. Yeah, Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there by the name Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very wealthy. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by his name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has, gone to be the, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Four times as much. Jesus responded and he said, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. That's what repentance looks like. What I have done, I want to fix. I want to make right. I don't want to leave things undone. If I have stolen from anybody, I want to, I want to repay them four times the amount. I want to, I want to reconcile 
my wrongdoings. There's an action that goes with this man's repentance. You see, repentant, a repentant heart desires to make restitution, wants to make right. Doesn't just want to get out of trouble, wants to make right. Luke 18 verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was proud, self-righteous Pharisee, and the other one was a cheating tax collector. The proud Pharisee prayed this way. He says, thank God I'm not a sinner like everyone else, especially like the tax collector over there. For I never cheat. I don't commit adultery. I go without food twice a week. I fast twice a week. And I give to God a tenth of everything I earn. He probably did all of that. Then Jesus said, but the corrupt tax collector stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, but beat upon his chest in sorrow, exclaiming, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Beating upon his chest, proclaiming, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home forgiven. Can you see how repentance goes before forgiveness? For the proud shall be humbled, but the humble shall be honored. Repentance means to have a broken heart. Why do I repent, or who do I repent to? And who do I have faith in? Because, you see, people... Maybe hearing the gospel that many have preached against. But what are you going to do with repent and believe? Repent and be forgiven. What are you going to do with those verses? I've heard people do mental gymnastics in an attempt to get around to it. What are you going to do with it? If you have the answer, let me know. In Acts 20, verse 21, it's very clear as to who we should repent to and who we should believe in. It says, New Testament, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you all say this, please? Repentance toward God. Let's try that again. Repentance toward God. And faith towards Jesus. Repentance toward God and faith towards Jesus. So how do I know God is at work within me? Because this has to do with repentance and we close with this. How do I know God is at work within me? You might just hear the gospel like you've never heard the gospel before. But be noble. Tell your neighbor, you're noble. It's okay. You go home and you study the Word of God, the Scriptures, yourself. You study the Scriptures, if you know what the Scriptures are. You study the Scriptures yourself, which is, by the way, and then you come to a conclusion. You come to a conclusion. How do I know God is at work in my life? In Acts 5, verse 31, it says this. God exalted Him. At his right hand, as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. To give what? Mm. 
God exalted Jesus at the right hand as leader and Savior so that Jesus can give what? Repentance. Acts eleven eighteen. when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well then, now let me just give you a background. Here are the apostles. Everybody believed that Jesus came for the Jews. But then over there, they saw a lot of Gentiles getting saved. And they came to this conclusion. They said when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that does what? That leads to life. <laughs> repentance that leads to life. 2 Timothy 2 verse 25. It says, Opponents must be gently instructed. Opponents of what? Opponents of the gospel. People who teach against the gospel must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, granting them repentance, giving them repentance, offering them repentance. It is God who works repentance in a person's life. Therefore, it's not a work of the flesh, and therefore it's not a sin. Repentance is a gift from God, a work of of God, by, by the grace of God in our hearts, based on His love, His mercy, and His grace that He has bestowed on us. When somebody comes to the cross, they come repenting and then believing. The most unpopular doctrine in the church today. It's just unpopular. And... I'm open to any kind of conversation with anybody regarding it and uh, talk through it. <coughs> but be like those who were more noble who went home and studied the Scriptures to see if what was said is in fact the truth. But I want you to look through this. I have a huge burden in my heart over the Gospel. The Gospel has gone missing The gospel has gone missing. And if you read the Bible yourself, then you too will have to figure out what you're going to do with what it says instead of what we sometimes grow into believing about it. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Father, I